This is Software Defined Survival, where we explore how software-defined systems are changing the business of AVIT. Today on Software Defined Survival. What if we had data as simple as it is? What if we had data that said, no, you haven't used the video, the VCR in the last three years? Because, you know, as you know, a lot of the AV devices that we deal with today aren't incredibly secure or secure at all. If you think of it, you know, our clients, a lot of cases, they have tool overload today. And the more of these tools they have, the less they're going to rely on any one of them because they all present different pieces of data. They all present it in different ways and they all behave in different ways. Instead, if you can become that data aggregator and take data from individual devices, take data from different manufacturer platforms and bring it all together, that's real power. We want to be a real trusted advisor to our clients because that's what's going to keep us relevant in the future. And the software really is the key to enabling all that. Greetings, blistering hot summer greetings from central Germany. My name is Patrick Murray. Welcome to Software Defined Survival. Today's guest started his career at Disney World Technical Services, where he learned about integrating show control with AMX systems. He's held several other positions in lighting and sound before zeroing in on AV programming and project engineering at Roscoe Corporation. And he's currently with AVI Systems, where he is working on some interesting solutions. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Hatz. Dave, welcome. Thanks for having me, bud. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Is there anything about that introduction that you'd like to correct or expand upon? No, you 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 hit it, uh, you know, right square on the head. You know, just sort of a, a background that spans many many areas of uh, of the the live entertainment and the the audio video industry. Yeah, uh, we'll touch on that a bit. I think that the live aspect is interesting. A lot of people in our industry started out in in show control and live sound and lighting, and uh, I see a lot of overlay there. So can you tell us a little more about your origin story in the AV industry? How did you really get involved with AV? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it really goes back to the time, you know, when I was in even grade school and high school, getting involved in theater and live productions. Um, you know, I learned pretty early on, I wasn't the best or the most comfortable being on stage, but I sure loved all that high tech stuff that went on behind the scenes. And so, you know, even going through school, I was, you know, I was drawn into that technical side, the lighting, the sound production. And even, you know, as, as I got into starting to contemplate, you know, what do I want to do for a living? You know, when I got into college and when I, you know, and after that, you know, it, it never really left the back of my mind. And so, you know, I started into my four-year degree um, in electrical engineering, figuring that, hey, I like high-tech stuff. I like computers. This electrical engineering sounds like something pretty cool. And I pretty quickly under or learned that, you know, I'm not so sure that, you know, that my desires are really going to be filled if I sit in a cubicle calculating out math formulas as a true engineer. And so in the back of my mind was this, well, you know, I like doing this, you know, this live production stuff. And somehow I stumbled upon an internship with Disney. And 
at the time I was going to school, um, for any, you know, any of you who know the geography, I was in the upper peninsula of Michigan. So think just about the most remote area you can go to. And the closest place I could go to interview for this, this internship, we had to go in person to interview, was to down to Chicago to Northwestern University. And in the middle of winter, that's about a t- 10 to 12 hour drive. And so, you know, maybe foolish, maybe naive, I said, let's do it. So middle of winter, I trucked down there, um, interviewed well, apparently, ended up getting, getting a position with Disney. Um, it was a three-month program. And the goal was to expose you to different areas of live production within the Disney theme parks. You know, it was, it was a phenomenal experience. And even to this day, what I look back at is, you know, the, 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 the work of the internship taught me that, you know what, just running shows day in and day out for a theme park isn't really where I want to be. But at the same time, you know, there was a one week part of the program that was factored in and you were given the opportunity to go explore some other area of, of everything that Disney does that interests you. And at the time I had a manager who sort of, you know, saw some of my interests and he knew a guy, a friend of his, who was doing this thing called show control. And so he said, you know, how would you like to go spend a week, you know, learning and working with this group? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. And so I went and spent a week um, working with, with um, some folks in um, the design aspect of what Disney does. So, you know, not running the shows day to day, but building the next, um, you know, the next and new stuff. And it really opened my eyes. You know, the work they had me do was you know, was about as mundane as you could get. But the exposure it gave me to this whole realm of, of audio video control um, is something that really just sort of kickstarted, you know, where my career is today. You know, at the end of that, I went back to college. I decided, you know what, I'm going to get this degree, even if I really don't use the focus of it day to day. But, you know, once I got my electrical engineering degree, then it was a matter of, okay, now what do I want to do? And I had some really good contacts from my time in Florida. And unfortunately, the economy was in a spot where there just weren't a lot of openings. So as I was looking around, I found a, a, this position in Chicago for an audio video control system programmer. Well, okay. It's got the manufacturer names of an AMX and a Crestron and an Extron and some of those on there. I don't really know what it's going to do, but hey, it sounds fun. And so I, I jumped in, you know, feet first and, you know, 10 years later, I was, you know, I was ready for a change, moved on to AVI and now, you know, almost 18 years in the industry, you know, I'm still loving and enjoying it all based on, you know, just sort of that setup. That's a great story. Uh, it seems like a lot of things had to come together for it. Uh, I like how you discovered, you know, the behind the scenes, the technology of theater. I think that's something that's not really um, 
looked upon. That's not really promoted. Of course, you see the people on stage, but there's all this technology that goes on behind the scenes to create the emotion of a show. So getting that exposure and recognizing how much you enjoy doing that at an early age, I think is really important. And um, as soon as you said electrical engineering, I started thinking of calculus. And, uh, it's funny Absolutely. you said that, yeah, you realize that that's not what you want to do with, with the rest of your life. And um, this Disney internship and that free week of doing show control design sounds like uh, a quite auspicious thing to have stepped into. Um, that's not something that would normally be available uh, without a bit of luck and finding that con- uh, job as a control systems programmer. Everything just kind of fell into place for you. It really did. There was, you know, and, and, and I know a lot of people say that, you know, it's just the path they take is just, you know, you, you can't plan it all out, but you just got to be ready there, ready to seize the opportunities when they come your way. And that was, you know, absolutely a case, you know, a case of that. Even if you had to drive 12 hours in the snow to make it happen. Exactly. So over your 18 years, what was, can you tell us a little bit about your most successful project and what made it special for you? So... If I were to pinpoint one, and it's really hard having worked for you know so many clients, so many opportunities, but I, I think one that stands out. Um, I was you know I was at an integrator, and the, a client came to us with the the challenge that they were they're a global corporation, and video conferencing is really core to their you know to everything they do. Their C-level executives are spread out throughout the world. And so, you know, it's just in their culture to conduct meetings over, you know, over video conference, over telepresence. And they were in a position, our client that was approaching us was in a position where they wanted, or they and their team were really tasked with documenting a lot of meetings, of events, and being able to distribute these, you know, videos of these meetings around the corporation or sometimes publicly. So think of those quarterly meetings, those, you know, any, you know, it may just be, you know, a global team quarterly meeting, or it may be the the company's quarterly meeting. And their goal was, you know, they were doing these productions. They were basically just recording a bridged video conference call. But their challenge was really to step up the production value. So they wanted to start to introduce character, uh, character generators to put titles on there, to incorporate pieces of media getting incorporated into those meetings. And at the end of it, their goal was to really produce a video that was, you know, when you look at the production value of it, you really think the level of a, a cable TV or a cable news network or, a, you know, a sports broadcast where it's just a seamless, well-produced, really polished video. And so I was brought into the, into, into the discussions because it, it became evident really quick that there's nothing off the shelf that just makes this happen. So, you know, we went through the, the process of understanding, you know, what's the workflow of the client? How do they, you know, do they really intend to, to do this? And one of the biggest challenges became they don't have a big production staff. So if you watch a, a TV network, you know, especially 10, 12 years ago, there's a lot of people behind the scenes making that happen. Sure. Well, in the case of this client, they typically have one producer who needs to do it all. 
And at the same time, they're the ones coordinating the people in the meeting and starting the meeting and stopping the meeting and all the logistical side of it. And so they don't have a technical background. They don't have the time to learn or the time to deal with all the technical intricacies, but they want a product that rivals a team of, you know, a dozen technicians behind the scenes. So, you know, as we started to explore this, it really became a situation where we needed to take traditional broadcast solutions and really mix them with the conferencing and collaboration world and then use software to sort of bring it all together. So, you know, as we started to put the solution together, it started out as a broadcast system with a large HDSDI video routing switcher. We would add in, we added in a large production switcher with multiple control panels so that we could have, you know, multiple of these events going on at the same time from the control room. We have a large multi-viewer so that the producer could see all the different video feeds they were working with. You know, video playback servers, character generators, you know, all the things that you would typically find in a production suite. But then we also brought in a number of, you know, the traditional AV components. So all the video conferencing codecs that are used to join and to bridge participants in these calls. Um, there were several PTZ cameras in the system so that the producers could appear on screen to the participants or to the audience. Um, there were digital whiteboards and, you know, and com just computer inputs so that they could bring their PowerPoint presentations into these productions. And, you know, a lot of, and then, you know, we got into a lot of, you know, a lot of format conversion, bridging between HDMI and HDSDI, really in the early days of doing so. You know, now it's pretty commonplace, but, you know, 10, 12 years ago, there weren't a lot of products out there that allowed computers you know, to dynamically join the HDSDI production world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we came up with a hardware design that really brought it all together, but we were still lacking in the, in the software side of, you know, how do we actually make this something that's really simple to use? And, you know, we looked at a number of ways of, of approaching the software side. Um, we were, you know, the, previously the client had some software that one of their people had, had written some applications and was doing some light automation. And our challenge was we needed software that could be supportable by multiple people. We couldn't just have the guy who could program it. And so in the end, we actually turned to maybe what some people would say is a little, you know, you know uncommon approach. And we used a Crestron control system. Okay. We actually used multiple processors, and what we did was we segmented it down so that each, you know, each processor was responsible for a different subsystem. So there'd be one program that dealt with just video routing, and another that dealt with the audio system. And then we created a UI that allowed for the producer, before a call started, they would go through sort of a checklist, and they would select what capabilities they were going to use during the call saying that I'm going to use video unit two to call my audience and video unit three to call and get a record feed and video unit four to talk to some other remote site. And at the beginning of the meeting, they would then just run through a bunch of macro buttons. So just think the big flashing button that says, hit me next. And so the first button would queue up all the video units and get all the routing in place and allow the producer to talk to the participants before the call started. And then when the call was ready to start, 
they had a, the next button would mute all the parties on the call. It would play an introduction video and then fade to the first participant of the meeting. All along, it would have you know talk back notes to the to the participants saying you've got 15 minutes to go, you've got 10 minutes to go, you've got five minutes to go, and then. The, you know, the producer could switch feeds in the middle so they could still have that control they need to manipulate the call in the middle. But we scripted the, the solution as much as we could so that they got a, a, a consistent and a predictable result. And, you know, in the end, it was something that, you know, we had to keep, you know, confidential because of the nature of the client and their desire not to share this with all their competitors. But it was really a pretty incredible bridge of technology, of software, and you know, sort of the merging of the broadcast and AV spaces. Maybe five to ten years before it really happened, you know, in commercial available products. Sounds like a, a challenge. And what I like about that story is that uh, obviously using software to merge these um, not typically these systems that are not typically integrated with one another, but the reason for doing it was to kind of repurpose the content. And the content was perhaps these somewhat boring business meetings, but adding a layer of production on top of it makes it more interesting. And of course the distribution, and you probably wound up getting more employees to actually pay attention and watch these meetings. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those where, you know, we forecast with the client how many meetings a year they thought they were going to do. And it was, you know, initially it was several hundred meetings a year they anticipated. Well, after about, you know, it was like 12 to 18 months later, they were already double that. Wow. So, you know, they, based on their capabilities, had increased the demand for their group. And, you know, we were in there six months later expanding the system that we had already built a lot of headroom into and they were already exceeding it. So it really is, you know, a case where if you get the solution right, you know, it, it the, the use will go up significantly just because, you know, because it's the right product for their end users. Yeah, that's the best kind of feedback when you get asked back to uh, increase the system when you actually exceeded your your usage goals and metrics. Exactly. So let's shift gears a little bit here. Are you working on anything interesting at AVI? Oh, am I working on anything interesting? You know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So my project for the last few years has been um, a project that we call AVI Insight. Um, as an integrator, you know, we several years ago were sitting with our leadership team and we were discussing how can we better provide support to our clients. Um, you know, we had been just like all integrators at the time, you know, we're, you know, we offer support contracts. We, when a client has a problem, we'll come out, we'll fix their, their systems. But we were looking at it of how do we provide the next level of service? And in the end, we really came to the realization that we need software to, to accomplish that. And specifically, we need to have a better understanding and better visibility into the technology that we're selling and deploying and designing for our end users. And, you know, this really, you know, th this really comes down to the fact that we need the ability as an integrator to offer the monitoring of all the disk separate technology that we sell. You know, we sell, you know, we sell audio video systems, certainly. Some of those are fully customizable systems, but others of those are just 
a few components in a room. Well, more and more, we, you know, that's what we call a huddle space, a display, maybe just an input panel, maybe a wireless presentation box, maybe some unified communication mixed in, but these little dis-separate things that aren't custom configured. Um, we do a lot, of, uh, a lot of business in the video conferencing space. So this could be traditional video endpoints, the Cisco's, the Polycom's, the life-size units that we've had for the last 15 years. But also more and more we're running into the rooms with just a small little PC running soft codecs, running a Cisco, a Polycom, it could be, or it could just be running Skype for Business or Zoom or Starly for any of the others that are out there. And so how do we get visibility into those? Um, AVI has a digital media practice. So how do we get visibility into our signage platforms and our content distribution networks? And then all the other components that are part of our solutions, the networking, the switches and routers and firewalls, uh, servers, cloud platforms at times, the AWSs and Azures of the world. How do we bring a platform to our customers where we can provide that visibility across all of that crazy stuff? And so, you know, you can imagine it's, it's a pretty daunting task when you decide, you know, you need to figure out how to, how to bring that all together. And so as we went through, we identified our goals really to be able to create a single pane of glass. So one web portal where our support personnel could go for information and we could also offer it to our clients so that they could get information. And, you know, the idea would be that this would directly integrate into our support structure. So it enables AVI to be more proactive in identifying incidents and problems for our clients. It provides the ability to help track those incidents and to take multiple alerts from different pieces of equipment and determine, are these part of a single incident? And then to group those incidents together and say, okay, we, I think we have a problem that we need to investigate further here because every Thursday at 2 a.m., we see these, this set of alerts. And so that, you know, as an integrator, we can get smarter about getting to that root cause of the things, you know, where otherwise we might get a phone call saying it's broke. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, really we set out to, to develop this software platform, um, you know, really to meet these goals. So what were some of the challenges you faced while developing this new system? So I think the very first one was, you know, we went out there looking for, are there software platforms out there that we can just find software and just Let's just incorporate it in our solution. And we quickly found that for, for us in the AV industry, there really isn't something off the shelf that meets all these goals. There's manufacturer-specific monitoring solutions and more and more every day. And these work great when every product you have has that manufacturer's badge on the front. Yeah. But the challenge is we were, live in a world where we're choosing the right product for the customer's specific needs. And we, we don't want to have to shoehorn them into one manufacturer's solution just to get monitoring into you know, our managed service, into our solution. I'm with and you there. So, yeah. And so we were really faced with the fact that there really isn't anything out there. So how do we go develop this? So 
what we what we settled on was that we would license and we found the right partner to license the underlying enterprise grade network monitoring tool. And we did that because as an integrator, we're not, you know, we're not specialists in developing that from the ground up, that incredibly secure, fully redundant global network monitoring solution that we can get past the IT security uh, analysis of every single global enterprise that we have approached. We needed to find a partner that that is their specialty, at, that has that that pr- part of the, pro- the that part of the solution, you know, really, you know, well in hand. And then what we what we would do then is take this monitoring platform and customize the data acquisition side of it, so that we can focus on getting data from the things that we know about the AV systems, mm-hmm. the video conferencing and UC platforms the digital media platforms, the networking components. We would focus on developing the communication to the devices, but not worry about the plat- no, developing the platform of monitoring from the ground up. So can we get a little technical about that? Sure. You mentioned communication to the devices. So I'm, I'm imagining there's a, a cloud application running somewhere. Does each individual device report to that? Or do you have some kind of gateway on the local network? So, so we, we, we looked at different architectures to achieve, to achieve that. And what we settled on was we have to have a cloud application running so that that becomes the portal for, you know, for our support personnel as, a, as the vendor, as well as for our end users. But at the same time, we, we have a lot of, of our clients who are really sort of, they're, they're adverse to every device going out on, on the internet, everything hitting the cloud. And so, so the architecture we chose was to place a server on, ev- on the client's network. And that server is sort of the data aggregator communicating with all the devices. And we did that because that way, all of that communication can be done inside their firewall. Because, you know, as you know, a lot of the AV devices that we deal with today aren't incredibly secure or secure at all, at all. in their communication. And so, you know, as, as to minimize network or to, uh, security vulnerabilities, we decided it was better if we have devices that aren't secure, let them communicate on the client's network where the client's IT group still has the ability to, to monitor and to control how that traffic flows. Put them in a cage put them in a cage. And then from there, that server that's on-premise can open a secure tunnel up to our cloud application. And everything that leads, leaves the customer's network then can be both secure, encrypted, and the, we architected it so that it's a one-way push. Now, that doesn't mean we're not having two-way conversations between the premise server and the cloud application, but the, the sockets are always initiated from the client's network out. And what that got us was, as we're going through security planning, we, need, we do not need any inbound firewall ports opened up. And so again, you can imagine when you go to the enterprise, you know, the global enterprise and say, hey, I need you to open up inbound port XYZ. That's not going to happen. Like, it's sort of like telling them, hey, I want you just to leave the bathroom window propped open. Yeah. I'm going to crawl in it in the middle of the night sometime, but trust me, I'll make sure nobody follows me. It just right. doesn't fly. <laughs> so, 
So that, that outbound push of data or that outbound initiation of the sockets, I should say, was, was really central to, you know, to our acceptance with our, with our clients' um, IT groups. Sure. And, and that's probably a, a web socket, I imagine? Yep. 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 It's a web socket opened up, uh, you know, secure and encrypted tunnels, um, you know, going back and forth. And then, you know, and then once that, once that socket is open up, then we have, you know, things like patch management and configuration control to that server are opened up so that we centrally manage that, that server that's on the client's network, but it's done, you know, from, from that server out at all times. Sure. Yeah. I've had a few conversations about what this kind of uh, system could look like. And I've actually spoken with one or two IT professionals and they said they wouldn't mind if many devices, if all the devices uh, connected or spoke with a cloud application. And if you think about it, you know, that's kind of what every computer does. Whenever you open up a web page, that's every computer making an outbound request to a web server. So I guess I could understand that argument, but I also talked with just as many other professionals who said, no, I'd much rather have a gateway because at least I know for your AV stuff, which they still don't understand. And as you pointed out, some AV devices don't support HTTP or things that are secure. So they'd much rather see that kind of a, a gateway where, and everything gets funneled through it. So all yeah, that and makes I mean, sense. And, yeah, and, and talking through with, you know, with a lot of these security reviews, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, many organizations are, are becoming much more accepting of cloud platforms and cloud applications. I mean, many of them are on O365 from Microsoft. Sure. And so right there, you know, they're accepting of the cloud, of the cloud environment, but there's still a lot of hesitation. They want to understand exactly, you know, what data is being transmitted when, how is that data being secured, encrypted, how is that data being stored? And so, you know, from our perspective, every time we can remove one of those checkboxes that puts us into that higher risk category. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're gonna, you know, not gonna accept it. But every time we can remove one of those concerns, it just makes it that much easier for the client to accept that our solution is safe and secure. And then we can get down to the business of really supporting the end user with their technology, with their audio video needs, which is the goal of all of this. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it's, I don't think it's an infinite list of security issues that, that uh, they really want to know about. They just want to know what ports you're using. Is it secure? Um, is, is your data encrypted while it's in transit? And if you're storing it in a database, is, is that database also encrypted? I think, like you said, it's just a list of checkboxes that once you have those checked off, then you could get down to uh, doing what we do so well, which is um, managing AVIT systems. Exactly. So, can we talk a little bit about data and analytics? Because that's really what this is yep. all about, collecting data and analyzing it and gaining insights. And the AV industry is, has historically concentrated on distributing media and reproducing picture and sound in the room. So what are your thoughts about this industry, about AV professionals moving into this kind of adjacent skill of collecting and analyzing data? Well, I think it's, I think it's essential to you know, keeping us relevant. That you know, we all know, and for a number of years have looked at you know the the number of boxes is decreasing. Um, there's a commoditization of the hardware side and the solution side, even in many cases. But what at the same time, what our clients are really faced with is they don't have visibility into what's going on with this technology. 
They don't have visibility into how it's performing. They don't have visibility into how is it actually being used? Is it being used? You know, more often than not, when you look at the planning phase of, you know, I'll take a university, for example. If a university has a dozen classrooms and, you know, coming up on the summer, the registrar decides we need more classrooms because we don't have enough space for all of our, of, of our classes. Well, half the time in my experience, that next classroom is built as a cookie cutter of one that they already have. Right. Just, it's just a blind cookie cutter. If there's some debate over do we need something or not, well, then we get the committee together. And in my experience, what happens when you have a committee of users, they typically don't know how to articulate their needs or what they really want. And so what happens is either the most vocal person will win just yeah. because they're stubborn and don't want to stand down in an argument. That's why we still have document cameras everywhere. That's why we have VCRs in, in some places still. <laughs> because by goodness, I use that all the time. Well, what if we turn it around and we had actual data to base those decisions on? What if we had data as simple as it is? What if we had data that said, no, you haven't used the, video, the VCR in the last three years? You know, that's a simple one. But it starts to help our clients be able to make informed decisions and to justify them. Um, you know, I always say that when I'm you know, talking with clients, I want to be their best friend. I want to give them data that they can go to their leadership and make them look good. We want to know, you know when it comes to space planning. If, you know, we all know real estate is one of the highest expenses that any of our clients have. And so are they using their real estate effectively? that 20-person conference room that you know, has really nice fit and finish but never gets used, well, it's a waste of real estate. And so you know, if we can get to the point where we can tell a client, okay, you have a 20-person room, but on average, you have four people use that room. Well, okay, maybe we need smaller spaces. Or if we look at a scheduling system and we can say, you know, only 10% of your users actually book the rooms. The rest of them are just walking in ad hoc. Well, okay, that, that means that we need to focus on the scheduling system and put some policies in place to make the scheduling system more effective so that everyone uses it, but we also can rely on it. Um, you know, if we look at what percentage of the bookings, uh, the room bookings, do people actually show up for? Is there actually a body in the room at the time that they scheduled? Because that reduces, you know, if we can get through that, that reduces the number of times where rooms are sitting vacant, but they're reserved so no one else can use them. You know, when we look at analytics there, you know, in the scheduling side, it's a real easy stretch. But then we can take it even further. You know, on the performance side, we can start to look at trends. We can start to really analyze, you know, not just when is something broke, tell me about it, but when are we creeping up on it? You know, when, when something breaks, it's a cliff. Well, I don't really want to know when I've fallen off the cliff. What I really want to know is three steps before I fall off the cliff so I can stop. Yeah. Because ultimately, we want to, you know, our goal is to make sure that that technology is utilized as much as possible so that our clients get the full return on their investment that, they, that they're expecting and more, as well as keep it 100.0% you know, available and free of issues and ready for the end users. That's the holy grail we're chasing. And if we can achieve that or as close to that as possible, that's what makes us a valued partner. 
that's what really solidifies that relationship where we're not just, you know, being a, you know, we're not just a transactional partner where client says they need something, we sell it to them. But we want to be a real trusted advisor to our clients because that's what's going to keep us relevant in the future. And the software really is the key to enabling all that. I really like the way you put that, that um, it's not just transactional because I think installing systems, um, you do need to have a relationship with a customer, understand their business, understand how their meetings are held to install a system. But I often feel like we deliver version 1.0 and that's the end of the relationship. So having something like this will help us uh, continue adding value as the experts who are really providing real data. I mean, as you mentioned in the beginning of this question, people sit in a meeting and, and how do decisions get made? Well, if you have data, it's, it's real power. There's, there's right. not much to think about anymore. You could see in black and white the, uh, the room usage, the component usage, and even the trends of how certain types of devices may, may continue to fail or reach their end of life which probably helps a company like yours tighten up your SLAs and, and offer some, some really great value. Absolutely. Well, and, you can, and then you can start to look at, okay, well, as we're planning what products best meet a client's needs, well, mm-hmm. does this product across all of the clients that we monitor have a recurring trend? Not just is it the, problem, you know, the products used for one client at a time, but we can look at it the more holistic view of across all the times we implement that black box widget. Is that a product that opens us up to more vulnerability or more chance of failure? Well, if so, it's not the right solution for our clients. Let's find something that has you know, better performance, better, uh, better reliability. Sure. So this idea of data and analytics be, being a critical part to how AV, uh, the AV industry stays relevant, do you have any tips or advice for your typical integrator, programmer, technician on how to start learning about collecting data and, and analyzing it and doing some of the things we've been talking about? I think the biggest advice I can give really is don't underestimate the number of details you'll need to cover. Because as you start to peel back the layers of the onion, um, there really are a lot of aspects of that monitoring solution that, you know, you need to get right 100%. You know, you can't half launch the security of your application. You can't half launch, um, you know, the architecture of it. You know, the feature side there, you, you can create a starting point and evolve over time. But, you know, number one needs to be the security of the data. Um, in every client I've talked with about, you know, the, 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 the rollout and the technical side of our application, every one of them wants to know the details of, you know, how is the data transmitted? You know, is it secure? How is it stored? You know, how long is it, you know, retained for? What happens to the data after those retention settings are, you know, retention thresholds are met? Um, you know, just every aspect of that, because we can't just keep data forever. And there's a, there's a um, you know a useful lifespan of each piece of data as well, and so dealing you know understanding and having a plan for how you're going to manage that uh, is extremely important. Um, you know the other piece is you know I think for a lot of AV integrators is looking at manufacturer tools and manufacturer platforms as one step of gathering all this information. Uh, because there's many manufacturer platforms which have APIs in and out of them. 
And that can be a valuable source of information. But unless you really are focused only with one or two integrator or uh, manufacturers, relying exclusively on a manufacturer platform is, you know, I think it's short-sighted. And if you think of it, you know, our clients, a lot of cases, they have tool overload today. They have, you know, they have platform from vendor X and platform from vendor Y and platform from vendor Z. And the more of these tools they have, the less they're going to rely on any one of them because they all present different pieces of data. They all present it in different ways and they all behave in different ways. And so relying exclusively on manufacturer specific tools in the, this, you know, this, you know, this, um, you know, combined environment, it, it doesn't really achieve the entire goal that, that your clients have. Instead, if you can become that data aggregator and take data from individual devices, take data from different manufacturer platforms and bring it all together, that's real power that you can then integrate into your processes, into your presentation of data, um, both for your teams and for your clients' team. And that's really where, you know, where the real power opens up. Um, and, and ultimately, this is all to drive business to you. This isn't just to, to say you have the capabilities, but all of this is a way of, driving, of generating new revenue um, and sustainable revenue um, into the future. I agree with that 100%. Thanks a lot for those insights. I really do appreciate it because moving forward, as things become more commoditized, we're definitely going to have to think about you know how we fit into this puzzle of how projects are done and uh, how we're going to survive, how we're going to uh, create that revenue that every business needs to to run. And collecting and analyzing data in a custom way, a way that's customized for your clients who you know better than any manufacturer can, I think is a, a great way to do that. So do you have any uh, final thoughts? I just, you know, it's it, it, the, the data and analytics is it's an area that I, you know, just sort of as my entire career, you know, I didn't anticipate getting, you know, this, this deep into, but it's something that I really have found, you know, a joy for and a passion for because it can be so valuable to our clients. And so, you know, I really, you know, we all know we live in a data-driven world, but, you know, it's exciting to me to see this coming into the audio video space in a real meaningful and tangible way. Um, and, you know, I just, I look forward to what the future holds, both for AVI as well as for our industry as a whole. Excellent. If anybody would like to get in touch with you or learn more about AVI or AVI Insights, how would they go about doing that? Um, so you can learn about AVI Insight from our website, avisystems.com. Um, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, my email, dave.hats, H-A-T-Z, at avisystems.com. I also lurk out on the Twitters, um, at DaveHatsAVI. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I encourage anyone who has interest in this, you know, feel free to reach out and, um, always, uh, looking to, to, to share my knowledge. Dave, thank you very much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. If you or anyone on your staff ever considered themselves just an AV programmer, join the club. That's how I used to feel. I was just an AMX programmer or just a Crestron programmer, whatever language of your choice is. Whatever it may be, there's generally this feeling in AV that we're not capable of using modern programming languages, and it simply isn't true. Sure, there's a learning curve, but once you get through it, 
all other languages become easier to learn and it just expands the amount of options you have when designing a system. It's not an either or decision. You don't say, I won't be using these manufacturer tools anymore. It's just you have a broader palette to choose from. And here's what Mark Day, founder of Ideabox, had to say about his experience with the online courses at learnavprogramming.com. You know, Patrick, it's funny how the smallest things can sometimes be the start of really big ideas. Uh, before I took the learnavprogramming.com courses, I was in that proprietary, I'm only a control system programmer kind of mindset, right? Uh, when it came to new technologies or current technologies like JavaScript or, or things like that, for some reason I thought that was different from what I'm doing. And what taking your courses flipped for me was not so much what I learned technically taking the courses, it was the mindset of, oh, wait a second, I'm already doing 99% of what some of these most modern programmers are doing. I just have to learn uh, you know, the other 1%. And that's really what I did. So it's really been kind of a big change after taking the course. Um, and I would really recommend this course to any integrator. Not only will it obviously help their skill set, but more importantly, it might change their whole mindset uh, which is more important and, and, and really show them new opportunities, open the door so they kind of see problems through a different lens. Uh, I got to tell you, one of the, the biggest changes for me was as soon as I taught myself HTML, CSS, JavaScript and saw the UIs that I can make with those technologies, I, I, I just couldn't sell a uh, Crestron touch panel again. Mark is a great example of somebody who takes new information and really applies it. I know that Mark still sells a lot of Crestron equipment, but for him, for his company, for his customers, for his business, he needed a better UI. He needed another option for a user interface, and modern programming allowed him to do that. So the question is, how can you use modern programming to improve your business? Please go to learnavprogramming.com and wherever you see a sign up button, go ahead and sign up and you'll get some free information to get a feel of my learning style and what kind of information is available. And of course, it would be an honor to have you enroll in one of our courses and help you upgrade your skills and take this industry to the next level. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. I hope you found it useful and maybe it inspires you to try out something new this week. If you have any questions, Go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com and click the appropriate button. I'd love to answer your questions on the air. And if you'd like to help spread the word, please subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. Thanks.